Okay, we've all heard the saying that the grass is greener on the other side. And for some in your circle of influence, your company may be that greener grass. Your friends and family, sometimes they admire the position that you have and sometimes with very little insight on what it takes to do the day to day. Welcome to The Leading Edge, a podcast brought to you by ARS Global Emergency Management. That for some of us, our day-to-day holds challenges and frustrations that lead to our thoughts of greener grass. I think you might agree that in many instances, these challenges come from the all-important task we aim to learn when we're in elementary school. That's right, collaboration, learning to get along with each other, to play in the same sandbox. If you can relate to this, you know, you're not alone. According to numerous surveys, people-related issues make the top of the list of why employees choose to leave their jobs. It's a basic human desire to feel inspired and valued, and we value being heard and understood. If these values are amiss where we are, we're highly likely to go on the hunt and consider where we might find that greener grass. When meeting with people we find particularly hard to get along with, the easiest and quickest solution sometimes seems to just walk away. However, this option, it's not always an option. And from my perspective, it's not really a great course of action either. When we encounter people that generate points of frustration, we can't simply exit stage right. To get the job done, we need to find a way to reach them and to connect. This is every professional's challenge. If you're in a role where you manage people to ensure everyone is on the right track, the significance of this job will especially be higher. You may have heard that in order to effectively deliver your message, you need to listen first. Still, either we don't want to or we're hesitant to buy into this idea. Listening, truthfully, it can be painful. It can be exhausting. Staying in a place with a speaker where the speaker endlessly and sometimes aimlessly can feel like torture. In fact, when we listen to someone for a long time, we easily lose our concentration only after a few moments. Then our active listening only becomes time wasted. We recognize this problem and seeing that we can't ignore the significance of listening, we need to find ways to engage, listen, and be productive in our conversation. So that's why we've invested some of our time and effort in finding some practical ways that we think you'll find helpful when it comes down to listening and engaging in conversation. So in the next two episodes, we're going to share what we found and what we've learned in our search about listening. So here's one of the things that we've learned is that the art of effective, productive listening is a purposeful skill that necessitates discipline in its application. What does that really mean? Well, it just doesn't come naturally for a lot of people. So therefore, If you want to become a good listener, it's going to take some effort. See, the key is this, that listening with intent enables us to grasp issues from diverse perspectives. It helps us to transcend our personal prejudices. It inspires, it motivates others, and best of all, I think, it cultivates trust. Along our individual career paths, the capacity to collaborate effectively with others uh, really is as indispensable as sharpening your own skills. The power of teamwork with the spirit of collaboration will take you to soaring new heights beyond what you can currently envision. So today, I'm going to explore four core pillars to getting through to people, including those who sometimes present challenges. Take some notes, try to incorporate them into your daily routine and see if there's an improvement.
Imagine with me for a moment that you're the president of a multi-million dollar company. One day, a crisis happens unexpectedly. Just because that's the very nature of a crisis. Your team members instantly fall into panic mode. It seems only a matter of time until you find out your organization's long-standing brand might be tarnished. Very understandably, you're upset, you get frustrated, and you're under a lot of pressure. The influence of the crisis is seemingly out of your own control. So, what do you do? Leaders across the board share the same challenge. Because a crisis is much like a volcano, you never really know exactly when it's going to erupt, but when it does, it has the power to sweep broadly. When this happens, you're faced with the very strong temptation that you can either hide or shift blame to others, and these two options may provide you with instant results. However, distinguished leaders think differently. They resist the temptation to do anything that will really make matters worse in time. Instead, they deliberately choose the option that transparently reflects their core values. There's a great story about this guy named Jim Mazzo. Uh, he faced a very similar problem. In 2007, the former CEO of Advanced Medical Optics, a California-based medical device and eye care company, received news that shook his company instantly. He received the news where data showed a higher risk of eye infection after using their contact lens solution. Among many options to take, he shortly ordered a voluntary recall. He said when bad things happen, if you resist the temptation to do anything that will make matters worse, you'll discover valuable things about your company and yourself that you would never have learned had you not taken the hit. So here's our first lesson. In the midst of a stressful situation, hearing anything that could worsen it is the last thing you would naturally want. As you feel yourself about to explode and unwillingly delve deeper into the matter, that's precisely the moment when you must find your calm. Take a few moments to collect your thoughts and emotions. This ensures that you won't act impulsively and primes you to gain and investigate information that you can gain objectively and make your decision with clarity. Roughly speaking, there are five stages taking you from the reaction phase to the re-engage phase. During a stressful encounter, you typically get to the WTF moment. This is the reaction phase when you first find out. You feel doomed and maybe powerless. Then you move to the OMG, the release phase. You realize it's a huge mess and possibly become a bit pessimistic. The next one is the OGs or the recenter phase. You finally admit that while the situation may not be necessarily pleasant, you're still able to fix it and get through it. Finally, then you reach the okay, and this is the re-engage phase. Now you're fully aware of the situation and what it all entails. You have quickly reviewed the options available and you're ready to fix the problem. When you're consciously mindful of these five stages, you can effectively influence your emotional reactions at each step, facilitating a speedy transition from one stage to the next. When you move from the WTF to eventually, okay, you move away from being fixated on an ideal version of the world that will likely never materialize, and instead, you become ready to face and address the world as it exists. But that takes guts. Because sometimes you have to dig to get the details to show the true scope of the problem. During times of crisis, those around you generally closely monitor your response to gauge the gravity of the situation as perceived by you. One practical action step that we find has been effective is to utilize a mental technique when confronted with a difficult situation. Your past experiences can fuel this current one. So, recall the encounter you experienced in the past and then simply mentally retrace your steps from WTF to OK. 
Recognizing you were able to get over the challenge in the past is a great way to fuel and overcome a current day crisis. By following this technique, which only takes a few moments, you can instantly boost your confidence and gain greater clarity in handling the current challenge. Throughout our history, bias and prejudice have frequently been the primary culprits behind some of the most distressing events, from racial discrimination to genocide. Thus, modern education is intentionally crafted to combat bias and prejudice as best it can. We try to bring attention to the oppressive nature they impose on others, stripping them of the opportunities and bringing in fair treatment. The harsh reality is that, no matter how educated we may be, it's impossible to entirely free ourselves of prejudice. Every element that makes up who we are primes us in how we view and interpret the world around us. This is important to understand if we aim to become better listeners. Because in the context of listening, when we have prior perceptions or feelings about the speaker or the incident, it creates significant roadblocks to objective understanding. In the book, The Culture Map, Aaron Meyer illustrates an interesting incident of a French worker who was working in the United States on a temporary assignment. As the story goes, after a few months, the company finds out several critical things about the way she's working. Her manager addressed them to her already, but it only seems that she's really not making any effort. It turns out the French employee strongly believes she's doing really well. There's a discrepancy, and it's caused by a cultural difference. In a French setting, when the manager provides feedback to their subordinates, positive feedback is often given with simplicity. On the other hand, negative feedback is usually given much more directly. This is often the total opposite in North American contexts. American managers tend to give positive feedback directly while trying to coach negative messages in encouraging language. You may have seen it or been a part of it. As a result, when the French lady received her feedback, she left the meeting with the manager's praise ringing delightfully in her ears, while the negative feedback sounded very minor. The U.S. and Canada are multicultural countries. We boast diversity as an authentic power. However, it does come with its very unique challenges. If we don't acknowledge the possibility of misunderstanding caused by these cultural differences and this diversity, it's going to be difficult for us to thrive in a diverse environment. So, what's the solution? How can we at least put our misconception under control so that it won't really blind us? Here's where it's important to slow things down, to take longer with the assessment and avoid jumping to conclusions. For that, we need to think about our perspective and put ourselves in the other person's shoes. By carefully examining the thoughts you've developed about someone and comparing that with reality, you can rewire your brain and create more precise preconceptions. The truth is that sometimes what we believe isn't really true, and it's good for us to acknowledge that by making an effort to uncover it. Let me share an actionable practice that you can try. Think of a problem person you don't know that much about. Make a list of words that you might use to describe that person. There's a good chance some of them are not that favorable. Now with compassion and empathy, consider possible secrets underlying each behavior and what is really a true statement. Think about what might be an underlying factor where patience might really serve to be prudent. After doing this exercise with your open mind, plan to have an interaction with that person. Now, with increased openness and understanding. Here, we can genuinely listen to their perspective and potentially uncover the real reasons behind the challenges that are encountered.
Many people enjoy being listened to. We want to impress others by our unique stories, telling them or showing them how smart we may be and what we might be doing right now towards our future goals. It's a pretty common desire. At a social gathering where, whether it's a block party or a professional networking dinner, we can always find people trying to get others interested in them. And there's nothing really wrong with it. However, you may not be actually getting through to the person you're trying to reach if that's your tactic. When you're focusing all your attention on what you can say to make that person think you're fascinating, you could be making a fatal error. You may have heard of Jim Collins, the author of Good to Great. It's a great book. It's one of the most successful business books of all time. And in 2005, in an article entitled My Golden Rule, Collins recounts the moment when he learned a golden rule from the great civic leader, John Gardner. Now, Gardner said to Collins, it occurs to me, Jim, that you spend too much time trying to be interesting. Why don't you invest more time in being interested? Collins adds, if you want to have an interesting dinner conversation, be interested. If you want to have interesting things to write, be interested. If you want to meet interesting people, be interested in the people you meet, their lives, their history, their story. By practicing the art of being interested, the majority of people can become fascinating teachers because nearly everyone has an interesting story to tell. Here's our third rule. Don't try to be interesting. Instead, be interested. Let me give you an explanation of why. The more interested you are in the other person, the more grateful that person is towards you in return. As a result, the more empathy that person feels towards you. Let me warn you though, you can't fake interest. People can smell fakeness from a mile away. Try too hard to impress someone and you'll likely just annoy them and drive them away. So, how do we practice the art of being interested with sincerity? Well, with humility, approach listening with a mindset that says the other person can add value here. Enter the conversation with the anticipation they have something incredibly interesting to share. Your genuine interest will be reflected in your eyes and in your body language. Intuitively ask questions that allow the person to tell a compelling story. When you do that, make sure to be present fully in listening without merely thinking about your own response along the way. I've always found it helpful that when someone's telling me something, if I want to let them know that I'm interested, ask questions. Try to get more details about the story that you're being told. I find it's a great way to show someone that you're engaged, you're listening, and you're interested in what they have to say. So, so far, we've covered three important insights on how to get through to anyone. First, in the mindset of stressful situations, you need to quickly compose yourself, effectively moving from the reaction phase to the re-engaging phase. Second, you need to check your misconception at the door and rewire your way of listening. Third, be interested and not interesting. And here's our fourth pillar, make people feel valuable. Making people feel valuable is not the same as making them feel interesting. Being interested in them is giving the microphone to that person, encouraging them to willingly share their stories with you. On the other hand, making someone feel valuable is like making them feel like they're important. In other words, by making them feel valuable, you tell them that they're the important one in this story. You show them there's a good reason they're there and that it makes a difference. The act of making someone feel valued reaches to the depths of the heart. Irrespective of their status, be it a newly hired employee or a longtime CEO, from recent college graduates to retirees, every individual craves to be acknowledged and to be cherished. I think we all desire to be appreciated and esteemed. 
You might consider this approach as common sense, and it may seem evident that it would be effective. But let me warn you, practicing this will require a high level of humility. Why? Well, because you need to make that extra effort to ensure that even those you find annoying feel valued and significant as well. And that's no easy task. A friend of mine told me an interesting story. In their department, there is an old man uh, nearing the age of retirement, and they just let him be known as Mr. Grumpy for obvious reasons. And this guy had a habit that annoyed everyone around him. Almost every day, he found at least one thing to blame. He would spit out a long-winded rant on a relatively negligible issue and blame other people for that same thing. One day, the manager of the department thought he'd had enough. On that day, when Mr. Grumpy was just about to begin his routine, she quietly called him over to her office. She said, Sir, I've been observing you for the last couple of weeks. From what I've seen and heard, it seems like you found numerous problems within our department. And I want you to know that your insights matter to me. So I want to hear them clearly from you. And then she asked, would you be willing to write your findings up for me so that I could learn? Then we can have a meeting to discuss them and go over each issue. Well, when this guy comes back to that rescheduled meeting, she was obviously expecting to see a few pages of complaints and probably lots of details. But to her surprise, he came in empty-handed. The meeting with the manager and the problematic person turned out to be a huge success. This Mr. Grumpy had long felt belittled and disrespected. And because he was mainly working with people who were a lot younger than him, he got frustrated whenever he felt that he was unheard. When the manager paid attention to his unspoken needs, he immediately felt comforted and respected. For the manager, it was a great reminder as to why this guy was on her team in the first place. While it was true that his complaints made others a bit weary and tired of the complaints, there was a recognition that many of the pain points he made were actually valuable. So Mr. Grumpy, with his great analytic skill, soon corrected his behavior and became a phenomenal asset to the team up until the day he retired. It's a great example of a leader taking time, slowing things down, becoming interested instead of being interesting. So that way she could really assess what was going on here and provide a great solution through humility. The foundation of productive communication rests upon effective listening. It's a vital element in preventing misunderstandings, misinterpretations, and conflicts. By demonstrating genuine respect and interested in other people's thoughts, you can foster trust and rapport with them. Nevertheless, many people confuse this with passive hearing. Unlike hearing, effective listening is a skill that requires learning, practice, and self-control. To be good at it, we have to be diligent and practice sharpening that skill. I remember a hockey player telling me at a tournament one time with professional NHLers that many of the people he sees come through his doors have incredible individual skill, and there's a lot of effort put into honing and crafting those individual skills. And where he's having to spend more of his time as a trainer is in developing collaborative skills, teamwork skills. And that's what today is about, that we need to learn to develop skills that make us better collaborators. And effective learning is one of those skills. To become good at it, we must diligently practice and sharpen our listening skills. So take a few of these ideas we've given you, try and work on some of the pillars, and find ways where you can engage them in conversations you have in the coming weeks. So join us next time for another fascinating discussion where we're going to share some fast yet impactful techniques to cultivate consideration and how to navigate through any difficulty. 
I'm Donnie Coos, and our producer is Abigail Chung. Make sure you check out our great resources on LinkedIn and on our blog. And don't forget, let's always stay curious and keep learning. Thank you.